Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comic book movies. I'm Joe Cunningham, and joining me as always to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Seb Patrick and James Hunt. We'll be discussing the latest comic book movie and TV news, and then we'll explore one movie or television show in depth during our main discussion. This week we'll be casting our eyes over John Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man. But before any of that, I'm going to ask Seven James to explain to me a comics concept that, as a movie fan, I just don't understand. And this week, guys, I'm, g- I'm going to ask you about a whole bunch of heroes. So Batman, Superman, Iron Man, Wonder Woman, Spider-Man, Iceman. How come some of them are spaces in their names, some of them are just one word, and some of them have a hyphen? It makes no sense to me, and it really bothers me. Why? Why? I think it's mostly just how the logo would have looked. Stan Lee has claimed that Spider-Man has got a hyphen in his name to differentiate him from Superman on the newsstands so that it would stand out as separate. I don't really believe that that's the case, partly because Spider-Man didn't originally debut in a comic called Spider-Man, and secondly because there is kind of uncovered artwork that shows it the logo being originally drawn without a hyphen, so I think it's Stan Lee doing his usual thing of inventing a fun story after the fact. There's also an issue of Spider-Man where Stanley wrote Superman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wait, he what? He accidentally wrote the name S- Superman. Yeah, there is like issue three or something. <laughs> there's just a speech bubble that says Superman in it instead of Spider Man. But then I um, Ant Man has a hyphen as well, right? Ant Man has a hyphen because he desperately wants to be Spider Man. Spider Man has a hyphen <laughs> because he's different and important, and so it differentiates him from everyone else. Well, as so I was, I was wondering whether this was a DC Marvel thing. DC have Batman, Superman, Aquaman, but then they have Wonder Space Woman. What's that about? The thing is, you're you're assuming that all of these characters were created at a time when everything was incredibly carefully thought out and had months of planning, rather than in most instances. Like, 90% of comic book characters were created by writers and artists going, right, what's out there already? How can we file the serial numbers off and do something that sells as well as it? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, as, as, as someone who has been writing articles about the creation of Marvel characters for the last year or so, that's pretty much the my main takeaway from it, is <laughs> it's just, what's there already, let's change the name and paint it a different colour. Uh, okay, well let's move on to this week's comic book movie news segment then. And in the first piece of news, regular listeners will have already heard us discussing Spider-Man at great length, Spider-Man joining the MCU, 
I thought we'd lead off the news this week with one of the things that that has affected, and that's some of the other date changes within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, a lot of the Phase 3 of Marvel has been moved back, but I thought the, the two most interesting ones that were that Black Panther was due to be released before Infinity War Part 1. That will now be released after Infinity War Part 1. And Inhumans was one of the films that was going to arrive in between the two parts of Infinity War. But now Inhumans will come after Infinity War Part 2. What do you think that means for those two movies, guys? See, I had this kind of theory that Inhumans and Captain Marvel were going to be middle chapters of Infinity War. Mm. And it... You know, this reshuffling means it looks like that's not going to happen now. Because, I mean, I'm assuming Infinity War has some, like, cosmic element. And both Captain Marvel and Inhumans are cosmic properties in that they exist outside of Marvel Earth. Or, you know, can go beyond the confines of Marvel Earth, I should say. So, yeah, so I sort of thought, you know, maybe Avengers Infinity War will end with a certain status quo of uh, Thanos has taken over the Earth or something. Yeah. And those two films will exist within that framework and then Avengers... Infinity War Part 2 will, you know, demolish it. I thought it would make sense, those two movies. I mean, you know very little about Inhumans, right? But it's all linked to the Kree, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that, that to me seemed like a good way to kind of bring all of the elements of the MCU together for that final... A way of getting the Guardians there, even. Yeah, I mean, it just is... I guess maybe they're going to be more standalone than we think. You know, they broadly haven't done that to introduce characters, so maybe that's why. Yeah, maybe Inhumans could be the Guardians of the Galaxy of Phase phase 3, in that it's part of the MCU and there are some crossovers, but actually, in terms of the wider story, it's not having much Mm -hmm. immediate impact. With Black Panther moving to one of those spots in between the two Infinity Wars, those rumours that were circulating when Latino Review happened to be very, very right about Spider-Man kind of suggested that the direction that Marvel was planning to take was that the first part of Infinity War really wouldn't feature many of the traditional Mm -hmm. heroes that we know well, and that we we would probably be seeing characters like Black Panther there and Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. All your favourites. Hawkeye and Black Widow rather rather than Hulk, Thor, Iron Man, Captain America. And then in the second half, it, it could turn out that Black Panther was actually Steve Rogers uh, wearing a Black Panther costume. That would be a brilliant idea, and I can't believe no one's ever seven, thought of it done it in a comic the, before. What, the, the, min- the minstrel <laughs> cinematic universe? You may not know that, or you presumably don't know this. That genuinely was what happened in Ultimates Volume 3. Wait, Steve Rogers blacks up in Ultimates? He doesn't black up, but he wears a Black Panther costume pretending to be this mysterious new member of the Ultimates. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm saying it, and I find it difficult to believe that it actually happened, but <laughs> it's not even in the top five things that I find it difficult to believe happened in Jeff Loeb's Ultimates comic. But yeah, my my general point is I I was quite surprised that Black Panther would be moving after Infinity War because I just assumed yeah. he was going to be a big part of Infinity you would War. Think. Unless which he still might be, but it would be it would be strange. You have to wonder what this has made Marvel have to very quickly change in their mm. plans. I mean, like you say, I mean the the idea of it of Infinity War Part One being the characters we don't know so well. I mean, a part of that could be we haven't met them in their own films. And then we go and explore them a bit after that. Although that's a very risky strategy because, you're, you're, you know, the whole point of an Avengers film is here's all these characters you know and love from these previous films together. So to do an Avengers film where 
you're introducing them all in one film could be more problematic. I do kind of like the idea of Phase 3 slowly taking the established Avengers and kind of removing them from the equation. As I think I've said before, I wouldn't be surprised if Hulk is in outer space by the end of Age of Ultron. To be honest, it's sort of necessary to do that as well. I mean, in the comics, the Avengers has a constantly rotating lineup. And if you want to get away from the idea of Avengers has to be these characters... Like they've got to do it sooner rather than later, if only because their their big guns are going to have to be recast at some point. Let's move on to our second piece of news. Um, it's been out there for quite a while now, but it's been our first chance to properly talk about it. Um, Netflix's Daredevil trailer went online, and we obviously we were only a couple of episodes removed from reviewing the 2003 Daredevil. I don't know about you guys, but for me, all Daredevil stuff seems enti- really fresh in my brain at the moment. And that that trailer looked exciting, not the least to me, because looks like a lot of Man Without Fear, <laughs> which you read. <laughs> I went and read, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, I think you know. I mean, we we've talked about the costume, and you know, I, I know that it's been said that the costume will hopefully not be the black costume throughout it will evolve Seb (laughs) (laughs) so I don't really want to comment on how Charlie Cox looks as Daredevil because it's kind of nondescript anyway but as Matt Murdock from what we've seen of him in that trailer which admittedly isn't very much I can I can buy him as the character I've I've always kind of thought of him as a bit weedy but see those abs Seb yeah they were good what what I found odd about (laughs) the trailer was that so much of the 2003 Daredevil was in there like, it was very surprisingly influenced by it. Like, almost as if they've gone, well, this is the version people are most familiar with, so let's stick to that. What do you, what do you mean by that? Which, which bits? Uh, specifically, it's things like it being really sort of violent and bloody and Daredevil being covered in scars. And the priest. Like, that, none of that is For me, necessi- that, I, I thought that looked like more Netflix laying down a marker and saying, this is what our shows are going to be like. I, to, to me, uh, being so fresh off of uh, The Man Without Fear, it seemed heavily influenced by that, and that the, the big changes were that there is no Electra, but that we've got Karen Page, and Karen Page looked like the Karen Page that I'd read in the Guardian Devil comics. Yeah, um, Karen Page looks like she's going to be a drug addict in this, which isn't how she was introduced at all, but I can see why they would start at that point, given that that's the kind of famous incarnation of the character. And I like I like the actress, I like the guy that they've got to play Foggy. My general takeaway was, I like the look of that Daredevil trailer, I'm still totally on board with Charlie Cox, and everything that the showrunner said about the show kind of made me quietly encouraged. I, I quite like that it's, you know, that the whole trailer has got this feel of, um, oh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a gritty... Uh, AMC series about a guy going and beating people up and everything's got that kind of blue light and it's all that which which if done wrongly can be a sort of oh this isn't like a comic book and then right at the very end you have the actual proper Daredevil logo from the comics rather than some you know metallic thing that's you know <laughs> yeah I just I, I like that it's it's not afraid of the fact that it's based on a comic which you know Marvel Studios never have been but it's still something like Daredevil would be very easy to completely divorce from its comic bookness and they don't seem to be doing that the thing I'm that makes me quite optimistic about it is that it's being run by Stephen Denight who worked on Angel and uh, was the showrunner for Spartacus. And again, we talked about Drew Goddard's connection to Joss Whedon in the Spider-Man podcast. Yeah. Uh, Stephen DeKnight's like in that world as well. Like he's, he came up with Joss Whedon. So, you know, I have, tr- I have trust in that set of people. And I think Drew Goddard was attached for long enough that I would be shocked if his influence has been totally scrubbed out. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic and I've got to be honest, watching 
a trailer for a comic book property that I feel I actually know some of the background about is very exciting. <laughs> Probably the, the first time that has ever happened. Oh, since Watchmen, I guess. So yeah, I'm on board. I'm on board. Uh, okay, let's move on to our final piece of news now. And there was an article on Bleeding Cool breaking down the pilot script for AMC's Preacher. Seb, I know nothing about Preacher, so tell me all about it. Um, yeah, so Preacher is a Vertigo series from the mid to late 90s, uh, ran for 60-odd issues, collected in 10 books. Behind Sandman, it's probably the most significant Vertigo book. Um, although, unlike Sandman, it doesn't have any kind of connection to the DC Universe or anything. It's just completely standalone uh written by garth ennis drawn by steve dillon um it's the story of um a preacher from texas who gets imbued with a supernatural power that may or may not be more powerful than god itself um that's cool yeah it's a sort of it's a very black comedy incredibly violent road movie type thing um he basically goes off with his uh, his ex-girlfriend who's now hitman that's not the right word you know what i mean assassin yeah a, assassin but a, a, assassin female really hitman yeah. um, a hit woman hit hyphen woman yeah um <laughs> not hit girl though and a hard drinking irish vampire called cassidy um they go off in search of god because they discover that god has abandoned heaven and let everything go into disarray it's absolutely brilliant um it's not without certain problematic elements from time to time, but it is just, a, it's a landmark achievement in comics. Um, it's been talked about as a potential film or TV series for absolutely years, and now AMC are finally doing it. It's the kind of thing that I would be incredibly sceptical of live action's ability to in any way get right, and I was even more sceptical when it was announced that Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg were going to be doing it. Not that they're bad writers, but that... They don't, they don't have precedent in, the, in this area, really. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but Rich Johnson posted a review of the pilot script with also some script excerpts on Bleeding Cool, but the, the excerpts have now been taken down, but the article is still there. Um, but he says that it's it is the pilot is quite different from the early issues of Preacher, but that it, it very much maintains the tone and the spirit. So a lot of the kind of character... Like, people encounter each other at different times rather than it just being a straight-up adaptation of the plot in order to simplify things and maybe bring a few things forward and that you know none of the dialogue in the script excerpts that he posted is actual dialogue from the comics so that seems to i mean i i don't watch or read walking dead but that sounds to me quite similar to what walking dead has done in terms of you know having the spirit of the comic but very much being its own thing and going its own way hey seb seb listen to this right i've read like the first 20 issues first three or four volumes of the walking dead and watch the tv show so that that is an area you definitely have the advantage on me there i have no memory <laughs> no memory of what happens on the page there yeah. <laughs> um but yeah it just it sounds i i would be i'm more optimistic on it uh, about it based on this than i would have been before um it's also quite interesting that the um the script explicitly states that tulip uh jesse's on and off girlfriend uh is black in the in the TV version, which she isn't, she's she's white and blonde in the comic, uh, which makes sense because it's it, it's a comic that could do to have you know its diversity level increase. It also potentially brings an interesting element because a lot of the comic is set in the Deep South, and actually there's a storyline later on in the series um, involving racism in the KKK, and I wonder if they're gonna bring that element into it, but involve oh. Tulip rather than the characters that are involved in it later in the series. So yeah, it's. Um, 
positive news for Preacher. I think so. And just to wrap up the last couple of pieces of news from this week, Warner Brothers have finally found their Rick flag. Joel Kinnaman is the man who will now be replacing Tom Hardy. So maybe not the A-list name that DC Warner Brothers were hoping for, but Joel Kinnaman's an actor I like, so hopefully that will be good news for that movie. And then Gina Carano is joining the cast of Deadpool. She'll be starring opposite Ryan Reynolds and will be playing a mutant character known as Angel Dust. And if Gina Carano should be doing anything, it's superhero movies. So I think that sounds good as well. Uh, does that seem like a good good time to move on to our main section, which is Iron Man? I think it does. Uh, so let's move on now then to our spoiler-filled discussion of Iron Man. Um, but before we start that discussion, let's listen to the original trailer for the movie. No one's allowed to talk, is that it? You can't talk? No, you intimidate them. Good God, you're a woman. <laughs> is it better to be feared or respected? And I say, is it too much to ask for both? I humbly present the Jericho. To peace. Tony Stark. Now you work for me. What are you building, Stark? Your eyes are red. Your tears for your long lost boss? Tears of joy. I hate job hunting. Yeah, vacation's over. Welcome home, sir. Put up the scanner, will you? What happened over there? I have my eyes open. I want to protect the people I put in harm's way. A man with a dozen of these can rule all of Asia. Yeah. I can fly. Right, okay, so that was the Iron Man trailer. I thought, given that this is definitely the movie that kicks off the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I just wanted to go back to 2005, pre these movies being made, when Marvel kind of put into place the plans to to make this cinematic universe of films, and, and just how big of a risk it was. Like, people called Guardians of the Galaxy a risk last year, in that they were much lesser known characters, but they were going in CMCU. In 2005, Marvel Studios made a deal with the Wall Street firm Merrill Lynch, uh, and Merrill Lynch gave them $525 million in non-recourse debt facility, uh, which was going to be used by Marvel to finance up to 10 films based on characters... Uh, that that it still retained the rights to. And the interesting thing is that they gave up those characters as collateral to Merrill Lynch, i.e. if this all went horribly wrong and Marvel got close to bankruptcy again, those kind of only characters that they had left were who they were going to be giving up in return. And so the 10 characters at that time were Captain America, the Avengers, the concept of the Avengers, Nick Fury, Black Panther, Ant-Man, Cloak and Dagger, Doctor Strange, Hawkeye, Power Pack and Shang-Chi. How are they going to do the Marvel Universe without Power Pack and Cloak and Dagger? <laughs> I mean, I was reading that list and going, what? I- I'd still not heard of those characters. I've got no idea who some of those are whatsoever. <laughs> the rights to Thor reverted back to Marvel in the years between that happening and the MCU kicking off. But what a ballsy move to to say, hey, we can make our own movies, we can do it ourselves, we don't have to sell off the rights anymore. This is at the time that Marvel was still partnering with Paramount rather than Disney. And that, hey, yeah, we're going to we're going to go off and make our own films with those characters. And the interesting 
interesting thing about that deal is that there was a realistic prospect that Marvel could have lost the rights to those characters and you could have had DC publishing Captain America. Like, I mean, realistically, what would have happened is the bank would have owned Captain America and licensed it to Marvel to publish the comics. Yes. But potentially, you know, DC Warner could have could have come and bought those characters. Well, Wall Street would have been running comic books and comic book movies. Well, quite. And then I'm going to read to you from another article here, which is from the New York Times, written by Sharon Waxman in June 2007. Sharon Waxman, who now runs the Hollywood trade, The Rat, talking about this deal and what it meant. In this article, there is there, there are people from the financial world saying, we know that most movies do not actually make money, or a lot of movies, so I don't know why, why they come out at the end of the day, even when you were just for risk and the time it takes. Why go through all of this except to generate fees for Merrill Lynch and some lawyers? <laughs> the article then goes on to say, additionally, Marvel's slate of films will be based on second-tier superheroes who may not resonate with younger moviegoers. And the Iron Man, for example, for Iron Man, Marvel chose to cast Mr. Downey, 42, to play the millionaire industrialist Tony Stark, an actor well beyond the demographic of the movie's natural fan base of adolescent boys. <laughs> I mean, it's, e- it's easy to laugh in hindsight, but... It is easy to laugh, but again, a year before Iron Man came out and was a huge hit critically and commercially, people were still going, why are they doing this? And why are they making these creative decisions that seems crazy the thing is like even at the time like specifically in the comics iron man was sort of the reason he wasn't already in another film was because iron man wasn't very good and you know who would want to do it well i think they had been trying to get iron man films off the ground for the best part of a decade but the the fact was that they just couldn't realize them yeah yeah, yeah. i mean they tried to get new line to do it didn't they with tom cruise i think it had passed around quite a few times between different studios yeah, but the fact that it never got made was because Spider-Man and the X-Men were the, were the big properties, and why would you want to do a Captain America, Iron Man, Thor film? Yeah, and so we have discussions on email before we make each of these podcasts, and you two guys are going that you were going to find it difficult to recommend me great Iron Man stories because he was such of a B-lister beforehand. So what what were Marvel thinking kicking off with Iron Man? Was it literally that he was the best they had to play with? Well, that's pretty much it. I mean, he did at least have a bit of name recognition. There had been a cartoon with him in the 90s. It wasn't X-Men or Spider-Man levels of popularity as far as the cartoons go, but people would have heard of him. It was at least a brand that you could launch that you couldn't with, well, Shang-Chi, for example. It was part of the Marvel Action Hour as a double bill with Fantastic Four. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I would say of the characters that they still had the rights to, Captain America and Iron Man would be the two that some member of the general public might have had the best chance of having heard of. And you don't want to lead with Captain America. I mean, now we know how good Marvel Studios are at doing Captain America, but they made absolutely Mm. the right choice for that not to be the first one. To establish that they could make good films, to get the trust to then go, okay, we're doing Captain America, which we know you all think is a bit rubbish, but bear with us at least iron man has got a hook don't know whether i've mentioned this before but in 2008 there was another superhero movie um hancock with will smith (laughs) playing a drunken parody of a superhero in which he picks up a comic book that is quite obviously thor and openly makes fun of how ridiculous it is that's that's another character that at that time and i remember watching that film and going god yeah i wonder what a thor movie would look like that would be bizarre Thor had had much more in the way of good comics before his movie than Iron Man. Still not some, not some of the greatest, but there's there's good 1980s Thor comics in a way that there aren't good Iron Man comics. But from those list of characters I just read, was I was Iron Man the best choice? 
Iron Man at least has a very cinematic appeal. Like, you can imagine Iron Man as a sort of effects-driven blockbuster. When you look at things like Thor, like, you're probably looking at Thor going, well, that's a lot of money on something that could end up looking like a bad Lord of the Rings imitation. Mm. I think also, bearing in mind that this is a post- Christopher Nolan Batman landscape Iron Man you can do with some semblance of realism just because it's it's all based on technology so it's bloke develops amazing technology and flies around in a suit not Hmm. bloke gets bitten by a radioactive iron and has iron powers I was thinking that watching it, it it struck me that it was probably the first and maybe still the only the only like tech superhero like I know Batman has his you know various Mm. gadgets but mostly it's that he's a pathological fucking suit <laughs> um, I mean, this this is really driven by technology and and the fact that the film spends so much time actually watching tony stark put together his various iterations of the iron man mm. suit that's what i mean about you know it's got a good hook so the fact that they have that it hasn't necessarily been done that well in the comics it, it is it's cinematic like you say yeah the thing i would say about iron man is that once you get rid of captain america from that list for you know reasons of jingoism or whatever you can see he's basically the only straight sort of superhero in terms of the classic interpretation of you know a guy with a secret identity and a you know, special ability. Uh, he's a he's a millionaire who represents sort of peak human intelligence. You can sort of you can see the links to to characters like Superman and Batman in a way that you can't with say Shang Chi or Cloak and Dagger. I guess the the only other one that you would have gone well at least. Hulk had a lot of pop cultural cachet, and that they'd or there had been a movie out, albeit. I mean, actually, that first Hulk movie was relatively successful. It just wasn't. I don't think it was ever designed to be a long-term comic book thing. That's the thing. I think if that if that Hulk film hadn't existed, I think they would have led with Hulk. And then a, a, another thing that I think was key, and, and Seb, you mentioned that this came post Batman Begins. Superhero movies were darker, and then Iron Man shows up, and you've got from the very first scene ACDC playing in the background, Robert Downey Jr. turning up with this obscene facial hair, <laughs> <laughs> and quipping and making jokes about the army guys throwing up gang symbols, and he's just from, he's from the word go. It's charismatic and funny and likeable and this this is something that Marvel has now made its stock and trade but this is a funny movie. Although it does after that initial moment it does go pretty dark for a while you know there's some pretty brutal stuff like when the guy's about to get tortured or you know when everyone's getting shot and stuff it's it's it doesn't hold back on being mm. quite unpleasant and violent in those first 20 minutes or so. The way that they structure it is odd but it works because he's so unpleasant in you know when when we flash back and spend those you know 20 minutes or so establishing what he was like beforehand if that was the cold open to the film you would get to the point where he gets kidnapped and you would think why am i supposed to give a shit about this but the fact that the first thing you see is firstly him being okay while a bit bit cocky at least being charismatic then you see him getting kidnapped so there's your we're supposed to sympathize with him then you go back and it's well actually he was a complete dick before all of this you've already got set up in your mind oh so there's going to be some kind of redemption whereas if they spent that 20 minutes just with him being Tony Stark the weapons dealer like you would have a real even with all the natural charisma of Robert Downey Jr which is a hell of a lot I think it would be that much more difficult to pull it around to liking him by the time he escapes you know yeah it bears mentioning an incredibly charismatic dick the kind of the kind of a-list movie actor kind of dick who you can completely imagine is a total tool to everyone around him but all the models want to sleep with him you 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 get that about that character he's really well realized and 
fantastically cast. If you were to explain to someone who wasn't like around and paying attention to films when Iron Man first came out that casting Robert Downey Jr was ever seen as a risk they would they would just look at you like you were mad you know it's it's so easy to forget the status that he was in at that point you know the fact that he had been seen as this brilliant actor in the 90s that he had completely gone off the rails and that the the very idea of having him lead a huge budget blockbuster everyone thought that was going to blow up in their face and then mm. the moment he walks onto the screen you just you cannot imagine anyone in the world being more perfect for that role. It would be sort of akin to them saying like, "Oh, Charlie Sheen is going to be our new Captain America." Yeah, well, it's not a million miles away. I seem to remember at the time as well that the, as you say, everyone was kind of like, "Whoa, Robert Downey Jr." And even internally at Marvel Studios, and I think they had to kind of put out the confident statements, but. I remember hearing that Jon Favreau essentially had to say, look, Marvel, I want this guy. I really want this guy. He's willing to work for essentially nothing, and you'll thank me later. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why that Robert Downey Jr. was so hardline with his negotiations for extending his contracts later down the line is because, to begin with, they were paying him peanuts. I remember when I went to the press conference for the first Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr. was saying that Terrence Howard was getting paid Mm. more than him for the film, and Terrence Howard tried to sort of laugh it off. But it was true. But it was true, yeah. Uh, One of the reasons that Terrence Howard didn't return. They needed Mm -hmm. to free up some of that budget (laughs) space for Robert Downey Jr. (laughs) That Robert Downey Jr. casting, again, go back to something that I read out from the article at the start... He was 42. Um, Gwyneth Paltrow was in her mid-30s. <laughs> Which in Hollywood woman years is, you know... And and then we've got a villain who is in his 60s. It's it, it's not a film that is in any that seems in any way to have been made with what demographics are we appealing to. Maybe just because everything no. was such a risk and they were staking so much... But it was it was just, let's just do this. Uh, you know, we're, we're just going to make this film and make this entertaining film with the right people. Maybe it was, hey, if we fuck up, we've got The Incredible Hulk coming <laughs> yeah. next, which we've got more confidence. <laughs> I just, I remember when Robert Downey Jr. was announced, uh, I just remember having conversations with my friends saying, like, well, immediately you can tell that he's the perfect choice for Tony Stark because Tony Stark has this kind of movie star appeal, but with an undercurrent of Willie go off the rails and everything go wrong. And you can imagine the only place I was really familiar with Robert Downey Jr. was from Ali McBeal, which was him in sort of his recovery period. But I mean, I can see why John Favreau would have been able to convince people that he is Tony Stark because there are parallels there that he's clearly brought to the role. I don't think John Favreau gets the credit he deserves for what he made possible in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm. The more the more you think about it, it's like, yeah, John Favreau is responsible for everything that followed. He, like Iron Man does really set the tone, doesn't it? Like yeah. Incredible Hulk doesn't really follow it because you know they were being made. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. At the same time, but every successful film they've had since has sort of been let's just do Iron Man again. And it's because I think the, the real watchword with Iron Man and the thing that really distinguishes it is character. Like, it has a great hook and everything, but really, mm-hmm. the, like, the one, I think the one word that I would take away that describes Iron Man more than anything else is character. But as in both, it has interesting characters and the film itself has character and personality. And that has been the most important thing in every other Marvel film that's followed has always been character. I've got written down in my notes here, there's something that I wrote like five, ten minutes into the movie. This film absolutely reflects the confidence of its protagonist. You, you almost feel like <laughs> this is a movie that is being made by Tony Stark. Yeah, actually. The, from, from the word go, the, the, the confidence it has in terms of that structure, the pacing is sublime. And I, I've got a few problems with the third act of the movie that we'll get to in a little bit. But that first hour and the way that and I've given origin stories a lot of stick in the last couple of weeks but the way that that first hour constructs that origin story and essentially this movie is 90% origin story and I'm totally fine with that for Iron Man it makes complete sense this should be an origin story it's actually when it starts to try and build the villain of the piece around it that I think it falls down a little bit I, I think it, I think it's the best origin in a superhero movie since the original Superman in terms of how the origin is told and how it's put together and how it's done I, I really think it's that good it treats it as his origin as a proper story not let's have this inciting event at the start and then watch what he does with this new powers. The whole film is him getting to the stage where his Iron Man suit is competent enough, you know, getting to the stage that he can probably go and implement it, which is that bit in the desert. And then of, from a character point of view, getting Tony starts the point, which we see him at the end of the movie where he says, I am Iron Man. And that that is the movie. And the fact that it has a fight with Jeff Bridges in a fat iron suit... Um, happens to be incidental. Well, this is it's the sort of Marvel philosophy, isn't it? Which is that for Marvel, you sort of care more about the 
the people than the superheroes like that's one of one of the sort of distinguishing things between marvel and dc is that when you're watching uh like a batman film you're more interested in batman than bruce wayne and i think another marvel's uh, marvel studios thing has been it's about the hero rather than the villain and that's quite clearly the case here it is all about tony stark yeah although i think I think Stain is probably one of the better villains, all things considered. Yeah, I, I I like him. I think he's good as a sort of the the only the only thing that doesn't work aside from the big metal fat suit. Although I I like the fight scene actually. I think it's well done. The only thing that doesn't really work is you cannot in any way buy that nobody thinks that Stain is a bad guy. I mean, he looks and sounds <laughs> like a bad guy. I think that's the casting. Well, because he's clearly, he worked for his father and his father had a relationship with him and he's he's clearly someone that has been involved with their family for years. Incidentally, when we're meeting maybe Howard Stark again and Alexander Pierce, let's bring Jeff Bridges back in his Tron Legacy de-aged face. <laughs> yeah? Yeah? Um, I don't know if you saw the interviews that Jeff Bridges gave in the last week or so where he was talking about he's promoting Seventh Son and they asked him about Iron Man and he said, actually there was supposed to be a scene at the end of the movie where you saw Stain in the suit and he was still alive and that yes, he was outed as being a villain but that he was alive and with the potential to come back later. And then they came back to him a couple of, you know, before the film was finished and goes, no, actually, we've just killed you. Well, on the deleted scenes, it was, the ending was reshot, wasn't it, slightly, to to make it clear that he was killed? Yeah, which is a shame. I I, I Mm. genuinely think that's a shame. I'd like to say, I don't think the arc of the Tony Stark facing off against a villain in this film works entirely because it's so much about the origin story and i genuinely think when they have that 15 minute fight scene at the end of the film the movie grinds to a halt i think it's a it's a general marvel studios problem that they tend to go how do we end this movie let's just have those people scrap and that and that could be a scene that we throw a lot of dollars at and hopefully it'll be fine i i just don't think it pays off i like the moment when stain comes and steals the arc reactor from his chest but like from that moment until the press conference at the end i kind of switch off every time i think it sort of redeems it that it's not too long yeah like there's nothing worse than a superhero fight that goes on for 45 minutes at the end of a film yeah you're like destroy metropolis already (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i i i think the again the casting of jeff bridges is pretty smart because it's jeff bridges we're predisposed to like him and Mm. yes he has the bald head and the beard and he looks fairly villainous he's such he's such an avuncular actor yeah i like how much fun he's having with it he's chewing up the screen and he knows it but it doesn't ever quite tip into actually winking at the audience yeah he's just he's enjoying that role and it's it does make him quite a joy to watch i love that take where he's shouting at tony and he like swings his arm and it flips his tie over his shoulder and they clearly were like oh let's leave that in because it's funny (laughs) like he's so angry he's messing up his own suit Like, it couldn't have been done on purpose, but they must have just thought, that is funny, we'll leave it in. Can I ask you about um, the Leslie Bibb character, who is the Vanity Fair journalist? Christine Everhart. She got comic book precedence. Well, again, like, in the comics, Christine Everhart is a bugle reporter, I think. Okay. And they just sort of slap the name on an, on the character as a sort of nod nod. Because Vanity Fair seems to get some real some real great access in this movie, don't they? <laughs> Yeah, why are they covering a press conference at a weapons manufacturer? Yes. Because he's Tony Stark, he's a playboy. But she's she's on the front row and she's got enough power that she can butt in when he's doing his press conference. Yeah. What? Um, are you saying someone with the surname Stark got close to an attractive woman? Also, oh God, this was one of the early lines and I'd forgotten about it. Oh, he's like, I got caught doing a piece for Vanity Fair. Yeah. Which is 
horrible. But it's such. I mean, again, and that's that's pre that's pre his capture. Yeah. yeah, it's in the Tony Stark is a dick phase. Yeah. Like the next thing we see after that is his plane, where his his air hostesses turn into lap dancers. Yes. You know, it's like it's it's tacky, but it's supposed to be you know. And it and it kind of is funny coming from that character. I you kind of got it's one of those you got to check yourself. Did he just say that? He did, he did just say that. It's Tony Stark's wit being used for evil. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of rare in a superhero origin movie. Like Because the thing is that this film is two origins, really. It's the origin of the Iron Man technology and the character of Iron Man. But it's also the origin of Tony Stark as a hero. Because usually in a superhero movie, when you meet the character before they've become a superhero, they're a good person. They're the kind of person who would be a hero. Mm. But And really, if you were to boil down the arc of the film Iron Man, I think you can boil it down in one sentence as Tony Stark realises it would be really cool if he was a superhero. Yes. Um, like, there is that line right at it's, the end of the press conference where line. he's saying, you know, what if I was a superhero? It, well, actually, it'd be awesome. Yeah. And that's like the light bulb in his head. And that's when he's, yeah, I'm going to be a superhero because it would be great to be a superhero. I, I also <laughs> thought, thought it was quite a smart moment in that if you don't wait until the end of the credits and Nick Fury turns up, there is just, there's something in that line reading, the way that line is put together that you immediately buy that there are there are other superheroes in that world that superhero is a thing that in that world you can be yeah mm-hmm. like he can say the word superhero and it means something let's talk about some of the characters we haven't got to yet or we haven't really got to properly so we've got Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts and we've got Terence Howard as uh, Rhodey um, what, what do we think of those two in the movie um, I'm I'm a pretty big fan of Pepper in these films um, yeah I, th- I think she's at her best in the third one I, I, th- I think that her problem is a lot of the problems with the third act of this film also kind of centre around her a little bit she gets a little bit screaming damsel in distress in the third act but I absolutely love the dynamic between her and Tony she is proactive though that that is that is something to her credit yeah, she. I oh know she is proactive in that, and she and she contributes to the plot getting sorted out. But there are when we were watching it last night, there were a couple of moments where my wife was just like, "Run away quicker, you idiot!" Because she's just kind of standing there screaming. Also, our first our first introduction to uh, ineffective shield agents, <laughs> <laughs> Coulson and Coulson with his five shield agents go help Pepper, and then Iron, um, <laughs> Ironmonger in his big suit just quickly disposes of just, those guys. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, I think I think generally Pepper is great because as I say, it's it, it's a kind of dynamic that. You don't see very often in this type of movie, and even notwithstanding the fact that you've got an actor and an actress who are a bit older than usual, their chemistry together is fantastic. And I like yes. that it doesn't just easily go for you know. Obviously, eventually they are a couple by the by the end of Iron Man Two, but that develops, and you see why it develops, and you see that as Tony, well, as Tony becomes a better person, he begins to appreciate her more. But also, she is a massive influence on him becoming a better mm. person. Yeah, I just I I, I really like that character. And, and that dynamic I, I think Pepper's probably my favourite out of the female MCU characters to be honest um, Peggy Carter but apart from that yes I, I actually found re-watching this film because I mean I'll, I'll be honest the first time I saw Iron Man I thought that was okay I didn't see it at the cinemas I saw it when it came out on DVD and I was like that that was okay I like Tony Stark but uh, the third act is rubbish and I wasn't sure about this and that and the other and every time I watch it it grows on me that was that was me just being flat out wrong and one of the main areas is I, I was really lukewarm on Pepper uh, I never really I'm never really a huge Gwyneth Paltrow fan but watching it this time the one the one scene that I thought she the Gwyneth Paltrow just gets so right is when Tony gets off the plane after he's come back from his cabin, 
and she's got the puffy eyes and there's just there's just a look on her face that that says so much about what their relationship is I thought you were going to say the scene where she has to take the copper wire out. That's my favourite scene in the whole film. Uh, the operation scene, let's call yeah. it. That I is, love that because because that, that scene boils down their relationship, and at this point, that that kind of weird sense of intimacy that they have while she works for him, and and she's you know she's his butler slash assist. It just and and in terms of their chemistry and the way that they spark off each other, that scene is just. Yeah, I love it. And I think one of their next scenes is when she walks in and sees him in a suit and he's like, oh, come on, you've caught me in much worse situations than this. <laughs> yeah. That was another one of those lines that reminded me of the Star-Lord Jackson Pollock line in Guardians. And again, <laughs> yeah. just just how much this film set up tonally for the MCU. Terrence Howard then? Yeah, so Ter- Terrence Howard. What, what what do we think of Ter- I mean, Terrence Howard? You can sort of tell he was the first person cast, can't you? Because he doesn't have any chemistry with the other <laughs> other actors. Yeah, It's like they had Terrence Howard and then they were like, oh, we've got Robert Downey Jr. And, and Gwyneth Paltrow and they work amazing together. I guess we'll have to put him next to Terrence Howard. I don't dislike Terrence Howard as an actor. But yeah, I, I he does he does stick out like a bit of a sore thumb in this. He's not. It's notable that when you get to Iron Man two and he's recast, it's Don Cheadle who works brilliantly with Robert mm. Downey Jr. You sort of it, it's difficult to see in that film. Like you can see why Tony and Pepper are friends, and you can even see why Tony and Happy are friends. You can't really see why uh, Tony and Rhodey are friends. They just don't seem like personalities that click. And then yeah, as soon as it's Don Cheadle. You know, they, you could never have thrown Terence Howard's roadie into that lethal weapon buddy comedy that you get for 20 minutes in Iron Man 3, you know? Mm-hmm. And that has to be one of the most tragic lines in movie history. Next time, baby. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's, it's impossibly awkward to watch now. It is. It's. It's even more of. I know we keep making reference to it, but it's even more of a Billy D. Williams moment <laughs> than Billy D. Williams. <laughs> it's. It's one of the few absolutely knowing moments in the film. Hey, we're a movie and we're going to have a sequel, and uh, look, we're we're going to tell you right now that's going to happen in the sequel. Yeah. And every every comic book fan is going, we're going to see War Machine. <laughs> oh, I, it would you. It would annoy me more than it does. But you were talking before about how the film is so confident yes. and and that confidence shines through and that moment is a look we know this film is shit hot and there are going to be more mm. so we know we're going to get the chance to do war machine because you're going to love this film as much as we yeah, do yeah it's it's not like it's not like the ant-man trailer is it where they're going oh please like it even though we're called ant-man <laughs> it's like we're saying we're awesome and we're coming back well yeah. hope, i mean i think you probably have to divorce the marketing because you never know we might get an ant-man movie that is just so ballsy and sure of itself that does the same kind of stuff but i mean you you get that at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy, don't you? If the Guardians will be back, mm-hmm. you know there's there's no there's no two ways about it. Even though it's Terrence Howard, and now we watch back and go, ah, uh, yeah. I mean, not for you, Terrence, but for your character, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's one of it's one of those nice moments where you go, this film knows how good it is. Yeah. Uh, as long as they're not absolutely wrong, <laughs> as long as they don't throw in <laughs> yeah, those exactly. moments, and you go, yeah, no, if, that's if- not going to happen. If they're wrong, it's arrogance, and if they're right, it's confidence. <laughs> oh, it's, in fact, what it reminds me of is uh, Sinestro at the end of Green Lantern. You get, uh, I would be stunned if uh, we see you back in that suit, Mark Strong. Let's talk about the stuff at the end of the film, the post-credit sequence with Nick Fury and just generally the involvement of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Coulson throughout the film. James, you said on one of our email threads that's pretty much the most important moment in comic book movie history. Actually, it was me who said that. Oh, was it you said? Sorry. (laughs) I mean, Um, to be fair, it was probably one of the most important moments in my entire life. 
James, James is married with child, by the way. Yeah. That's important for the listeners to know. I remember sitting there in the cinema and like literally banging the the armrest in just unrestrained glee at the idea of there being an Avengers. And more 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 pointedly, the idea that they were gonna bring the idea of crossovers and multi superhero interactions to the cinema. And that they cast Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, yeah. But had the confidence to hold him back for post credits well the thing is because samuel l jackson was the model for nick fury in ultimates the comic Mm. as soon as you put him on screen you're like you instantly see where it's going like it wasn't it wasn't like having some kind of you know random old guy turn up as you know white nick fury from the marvel universe proper yeah it was saying like look we've got all these ideas that we've refined from the from the ultimate comics and we're going to bring them to the screen the the possibilities are endless i've got to say i i do appreciate sam jackson's approach to the mcu as well in that you know he's willing to show up on agents of shield when (laughs) they want him to show up and i saw someone recently asked him you know you signed that mega mega contract for marvel is is that nearly up and he was like i think i've got two films left but i'll extend he wants his own film though doesn't he he wants the nick fury film i mean he deserves it at this point i'd be well up for a nick fury film without david hasselhoff I mean, it's it's nice when he gets his moments in stuff like The Winter Soldier, um, you know, in that car chase sequence, um, to watch him actually in action and doing stuff. Uh, it would be nice to have him do a whole movie. But yeah, so so that so that post credit sequence where Nick Fury turns up, says I'm Nick Fury, and there is an Avengers initiative, and we need to talk about it. I mean, as comic book fans, when you see Coulson running around and dropping the name S.H.I.E.L.D., do you suspect that that's what's coming at the end of the movie, when you're watching it for the first time? I mean, I I assumed they were doing something with S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, I was just, you know, I was glad that they were incorporating S.H.I.E.L.D. as a comics concept. I had no idea Samuel L. Jackson was going to turn up, Nick Fury was going to turn up, and, you know, recruit him to the Avengers, because, I mean, if nothing else, that's not really how the Avengers Avengers traditionally works like again it's something they imported from the ultimate setup but nothing about Iron Man resembles the ultimate version it's more you know visually speaking it's more the the Marvel Universe version so you just you weren't expecting it to go in that direction but when it did you're very happy what did you think of the post-credit scene Seb um, well, as as I say, you know, I mean, it is just like it's it's ridiculously important in terms of what it sets up, and I, I love the deliberate use of language to actually say you're part of a wider universe because that puts in everyone's heads Marvel Universe. Um, but the other thing that I think is great about it is seeing it for the first time in the cinema, and there only being about three other people who'd stayed to the end because you could tell the three people who were on the internet <laughs> reading about comic book movies who knew there was going to be one. Whereas now you go and see them, and most people stay behind because. Because it's just it's just become a thing, and it's become a thing in films that aren't comic book films to do yes, these. Yeah. And I know Iron Man wasn't the first to do a kind of a mid credits or a post credits scene. You know, um, Daredevil had, had had a mid credits, X Men: The Last Stand had done one. I'm sure there are others, hmm. but there's just something about this idea of tacking on to the end of the film, setting up the next one in some way or a future one in some way, and it's just become this integral part now of blockbuster films. But back then, no one even knew to wait around. I almost felt like standing up and going hey don't you know about the scene at the end where are you going Except to be fair i still feel like that when people walk out at the end of a marvel film like yeah are they idiots do they just not care why are they even here yeah what 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 do we think of coulson coming in and out because i i 
I personally think that Coulson kind of comes into his own in first that short film where he gets to kick a load of ass and then secondly when he, he gets Joss Whedon dialogue put in his mouth but he's a fun addition here I quite like yeah. the idea of him being this just perky little guy in a suit who is just he just <laughs> wants to get his paperwork filed almost it surprised me how much he was in this watching it again because I remembered him showing up a couple of times to talk about S.H.I.E.L.D. and I completely forgot that he had any involvement in the actual finale um, but yeah he's good fun he's sort of the character has been kind of diluted in, in a way over the years uh, from giving him sort of more to do bringing him back to life etc also uh, a full head of hair in Iron Man <laughs> well I do I just I like the version of of Coulson who is like a sort of mid-level uh, administrator more than the version who is an action star yeah I agree like it's it's just as a character he's funnier like that shall we get to your comic book recommendations we'll bring our Iron Man chat to an end and you can you can tell me where I where I should be going to read more Iron Man yeah, so I mean, it's, it's a really obvious one, really, and it, it kind of, in some ways, has more relevance to Iron Man three. But it's it's very relevant because it's probably one of the few comics that was an influence on the movie, which is uh, Extremis by Warren Ellis and Adi Granov. It was sort of a, a kind of soft reboot. They sort of went back and brought Tony's origin more up to date, you know, so that it was it it was in Afghanistan rather than I think was it the Korean War originally, James. I can't remember. Anyway, I think it's Vietnam. And if I am being your Vietnam. comic no. book knowledge, I need a gold star. It can't yeah, have been Vietnam, Vietnam can it? It was too yeah. early, though, wasn't it? Oh, no, maybe. I don't know. Anyway. Um, but yeah, so it just it brought things a bit more up to date and it kind of sh- did shift the emphasis a little bit in terms of Tony's character as being more of a kind of experimental inventor rather than just, you know, uh, a weapons hawker. Um, was that was that pretty close to when Iron Man was released, that the comic was? It was about three years before, I think. I think it's from 2004, 2005. Yeah, so it, it's, it's a six-part story. It's the first six issues of of volume four of Iron Man. Uh, yeah, 2005 to 2006 it ran. I think I think some of the issues were delayed, that's why it took so long. Um, but it's just, it's a, it's, a re, it's a reasonably good self-contained Iron Man story that just kind of shifts and redefines the character. Um, as I say, like plot elements mm. also found their way into Iron Man 3, but it's, it's the starting yeah. point for the modern day Iron Man, basically. I'm going to say I, d- I definitely heard this comic discussed fairly regularly when Iron Man 3 was in production. So I think the artist on it was A.D. Granov, wasn't it? And yeah. I'm pretty sure he, as a result of his work on Extremist, became the designer for the film. Yeah, that's the other thing, because they did redesign the costume for the time of Extremist, and it's very similar to the one in the film. Right. James, what, what are you recommending to me? Uh, I will recommend the. It's an Iron Man story called The Five Nightmares, okay. which is uh, written by Matt Fraction, drawn by Salvador La Rocca, and it was published at the time of the film as a new Iron Man series, uh, with the intention being if you had seen the film, you would come into a comic shop and someone would say, Here is the new Iron Man series. It's a relative of Obadiah Stane called Ezekiel Stane. That sounds vaguely pornographic. <laughs> he like he's a sort of kid who is a genius like he's maybe a late teens early 20s right and he's kind of like tony stark without the conscience is sort of the pitch for that character okay. um and basically tony's talking about his kind of five nightmares which are you know things like what if someone developed iron man technology who wasn't me and didn't have my my morality right i mean it's kind of good in that it loosely sequelizes the film in that it plays off the the stark and stain relationship but it's also good in that it kind of cuts the heart of why why tony stark is the way that he is iron man and why other characters might not be can i can i bring up something that we said on our email chains uh, or that you yeah. you two have said to each other that 
you found it particularly hard to recommend good Iron Man stories to me. Is that fair? Okay, well, in the 80s, there was a very critically acclaimed run by Bob Layton and David McElhenney, who they did this sort of famous story where Tony Stark becomes an alcoholic and loses his company and loses control of Iron Man and sort of rebuilds his life after hitting rock bottom. The problem is those stories are told in a very... It's not even a 1980s style. Like, it's very... They're very 70s. So they're sort of melodramatic and very heavily chaptered into individual issues uh, so sort of the action's all truncated and it, it just at the time they were well regarded but they dated badly because the style has dated badly yeah and since then there hasn't been anything that's reached that level of acclaim so you have sort of 10, 15 years of mediocre Iron Man comics in the modern style. And then sort of, aside from extremists, nothing until the movie. And then everything that came after was influenced by the movie. Yeah. So it's so really it... tough to say, pick up these Iron Man comics if you like the movie, because they're only the ones that were published after the movie that are sort of worth saying that to. One of, one of the things that struck me watching the movie was, I, I just couldn't imagine how something that le- looked, and I kept going to myself when I was watching it, man, that looks really cool. Oh, that is cool. Oh, that... <laughs> That's just that's just a really cool moment, and the suit looks amazing. And I was like, "How does this look on the page? How does the Iron Man suit look on the page?" Because I just can't imagine it looking that cool, or like the the actual the actual you know metal of the suit. That's why that's why one of the good things about Extremis is that it's got Adi Granov. Adi Granov is very good at drawing metallic things, and he's probably the right. first artist to do Iron Man and make it look shiny and metallic with kind of modern colouring methods. Actually, one very very last point on the film that I love that we didn't touch on is I absolutely love taking the original massive clunky rubbish Iron Man costume, yes. putting it in the film and having it be absolutely awesome as having it be the costume <laughs> yeah. that he breaks out like of the a cave walking in. tank. And I'm just going to mention the two other things that I haven't been able to mention that I really liked about the film. Firstly, that everyone assumes that Tony Stark has post-traumatic stress disorder, and that's why he's not in public. And for <laughs> him then to actually get PTSD in a, in a future movie, it's like, that stuff in Afghanistan? No, that was fine. Battle of New York? Fuck me, that was bad. Um, <laughs> and then the other moment I liked was uh, when Obadiah Stane says to Tony, do you really think that just because you have an idea, it belongs to you? <laughs> it seems really pointed uh, it in rather superhero does. movies right now, doesn't it? Yes, and in yeah. and in and in comics in general for the last seventy odd years. Yes. Okay. Well, I think that brings our Iron Man discussion to a close. Um, I will read those Iron Man comics and talk about them on next week's minisode. And Seven James will be putting up the links to buying those on Comicsology on our panel beats post. But now let's move on to our final section, which is the pitch, where Seven James both have thirty seconds to pitch me a comic book movie concept based on the parameters that I give them. This week, my question is, I would like to know how you would continue with Iron Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe after Robert Downey Jr. gives up the suit. Uh, So you're going to have 30 seconds to make that argument and... um, Seb, I think we'll start with you. Uh, I'm not sure how I can stretch this out to 30 seconds, but my simple answer is that I wouldn't continue Iron Man in the MCU without Robert Downey Jr. Um, I think the other characters could feature in films, but there's absolutely no point in doing Iron Man without Robert Downey Jr. playing Tony Stark. It, It would lose most of what makes him such a good film character in the first place. Excellent. Uh, well, you, you I know I'm going to lose. Seconds, that's but, fine. 
<laughs> well we'll see we'll see in about 30 seconds time with you're right james pitch me how are you continuing the mcu without robert downey jr okay there's a marvel comic called the mask in the iron man in which tony stark's armor gets struck by lightning during the millennium bug and gains sentience uh my plan <laughs> is that this would happen to tony stark but his consciousness would be transferred to the suit uh put a filter effect over his voice the Iron Man suit is now uh, played by Robert Downey Jr. in voiceover. Uh, you don't have to get him in the films, but you can come in once every you know six months to do two hours of voice recording. Wow, um, that's horrible, James. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't do that. Do, I mean, I don't think it's his voice that makes the Iron Man films. That's the only way you can do Iron Man without Tony, uh, without Robert Downey Jr. being in the films. This, this is why I, I didn't want to countenance the idea of killing Tony Stark. So I tried to imagine films set where Tony Stark was dead and maybe all the other characters were carrying on hmm. his legacy. And I was like, but no, because my, my other option would have been to bring back Robert Downey Jr. as a voice, as the new Jarvis. So I had basically the same idea as James. I think that's where the MCU is going. I would, I would be stunned if Vision doesn't eventually have Tony Stark. Robert Downey Jr.'s voice talking to him. If it was me, I would say either you you don't recast Tony Stark, but you have a different character being Iron Man, i.e. Don Cheadle. I'd watch a Don Cheadle-led Iron Man movie when it becomes clear that Robert Downey Jr. isn't coming back. Or I would have Vision taking over the Iron Man franchise, and it would be they would be called Vision movies, but essentially he would be the Iron Man standard. You must be the only person on the planet pitching a Vision movie. <laughs> like You've Paul never Bettany. read a comic with the Vision in, have you? <laughs> well, I like no, I know nothing about the character, but I like Paul Bettany, and I like the idea that Paul Bettany running around with Tony Stark's voice in his head doing superhero things. I think the easier solution is you keep on driving dump trucks full of money up to Robert Downey Jr.'s <laughs> house and you never let him leave. Yeah, but he's <laughs> going to be so old. I think almost by default, I almost have to award the win to Seb this week. <laughs> but I hate both of your ideas. Why aren't your ideas the same as mine? <laughs> okay, so that's just about it for this week. You can find us on Twitter at CU underscore podcast. Or if you want to find us individually, I'm at Joe Cunningham 14. Seb is at Seb Patrick and James is at James Hunt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, on Stitcher, or you can access the RSS feed directly by going to cinematicuniverse.libsyn.com. I'll be back next week with another mini-sode and all three of us will be back in two weeks' time for our fourth full episode. And if you want to find out what we'll be talking about then, stick around until after the music at the end. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Mikey O'Reilly. Cinematic Universe will return in two weeks' time with Agent Carter. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.